Welcome to the inspiring, informative, and very much inquisitive show, The Inquisitive Analyst. I'm your host, Marcus Yudokang, and my guest today is founder of the COO Alliance and of the Second in Command podcast. He has had many years of experience guiding CEO and COO clients to double their profit and revenue in just three years or less. He's the author of five business books, and he's known as the COO Whisperer. Please help me welcome to today's show, Cameron Harold. Welcome, Cameron. Hey, Marcus. How are you? Nice to be Great. on. And I, I guess I need to update my bio. I've now written six. I just had my sixth oh. book, uh, my sixth book, which is called The Second in Command, just came out in print about uh, three or four weeks ago. So I'll have to there update my bio. There yeah. you go. Okay. So you're here now. You're not, you've now got six books. So my correction, six books. No, no, it's, I'll, <laughs> I'll correct the bio. And it's funny, you and I both went to the same university and our university was famous for journalism. I never would have been accepted into the journalism program in the history of ever. I was a horrible <laughs> English student. I had no desire to ever be an author. And it, it's still pretty, it's just, I, my mom would roll over in her grave knowing I've written one book, let alone, or six, let alone one. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. That's funny. Well, you've written, well, the first book you read, you, you wrote was, is this, the Double Double. Yeah. I've got, I've got this here. And the, this, the, then you've wrote, written a, a number of other books. And one other book that you've written is Meetings Suck. I've got that mm -hmm. here uh, for the audience who's interested. And I should point out that it's just how to be efficient and effective in meetings. Um, and of course, the book we want to talk about today is The Second in Command, which is your latest and greatest. You said it was your sixth book. Yeah. So the, the thing that interests me about this book is its focus, not just on the CEO, the chief operating officer, but also about leadership. So mm -hmm. I thought maybe we'll talk about, since the leadership parallels nicely with project management, I thought we would talk much about leadership today. If that's sure. Okay you, right? Absolutely. Okay. And I guess we, we should start off by asking how you got started as a COO in the first place. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So I've, I've always been an entrepreneur as far back as second year university. I started my own business. I was a franchisee for a group called College Pro Painters. I had 12 employees when I was in second year university. I had 16 when I was in third year or fourth year. And um, so I'd run a business the whole time I was there, left and started working for the head office of College Pro Painters. And I was introduced to some very unique systems on how to scale companies quite quickly. One of the unique things about College Pro Painters is every year they had to go out and find 800 university students to become franchisees, and we had to train them all in three months. And then in one month, those 800 franchisees had to go out and recruit, hire, and train 8,000 students to be painters. Wow. And then in four months, between May 1st and August 31st, in that 17-week cycle, we had to produce $64 million worth of house painting. September 1st, everybody you know, quit and went back to school. And the 30 of us at the head office got drunk and woke up September 2nd and we did it again. So we got introduced to, I would say, project management in a very entrepreneurial nature as the ability to scale it. So I learned these very operational skills. After that, I built two other companies as kind of the second in command. I was president of a private currency company. I was a partner in what became a collision repair chain that's now the largest collision repair chain in the world. Um, that went public. And then I joined my best friend who was building out a company called the Rubbish Boys. He just changed the name over to call it 1-800-GOT-JUNK. 
I joined him as employee number 14. And when I'd left six and a half years later, we had 3,100 employees system-wide. And I'd been the COO for that ride. So that was, I left there 16 years ago now. Uh, but that was really how I became a COO was I think a lot of the operational training that I had at College Pro Painters was my real world MBA to scale companies. Wow. And I know that there's a lot of project leaders out there, project managers who decide later on in their career to become COOs. Yeah. So that's another reason why uh, today's conversation is highly valid. You know why I think that's true is I think Tom, or Thomas Edison said it best. And he said, vision without execution is hallucination. And I think you think about the visionary entrepreneur or even the entrepreneurial CEOs, they are the classic visionaries. They have the idea, the idea, the idea. You know, my sister who's run her own company for 25 years calls herself the dragon and her COO is the leash because <laughs> we got to hold on to this crazy dragon, right? And and the, the, the project manager, that project lead is really the one who can often become the most operational person in the business. Mm -hmm. The key link between making the jump from a project manager to a COO is the ability to lead people, collaborate with people, build consensus, right? And ability to think strategically. So there's a mesh between how do we get shit done? That's the execution. And then how do we lead leaders? And that's when the COO really has to come out on the leadership side. Okay, so you say good leaders are obviously change agents. They can drive that transformation in an organization. So how can leaders be... How can leaders so, sort of bring in an effective team together to work that cohesive drive of change? I think it's first really understanding where the organization is going, right? What's the vivid vision for the organization? What's the vision for the CEO? What's the company's BHAG, right? Their big, hairy, audacious goal. Really understanding where are we going and then reverse engineering that coming up with kind of a three-year org chart, a two-year org chart, a one-year org chart, so you know what your company is going to be looking like, starting to lightly reverse engineer that and then almost doing a project plan for the first year that drives towards a second-year org chart, third-year vivid vision. Okay. So then you're, you're aware of some of the people you're looking for, and you might trip over them early. You might find that diamond in the rough, but you know, oh, I don't need to hire them for 12 more months, but if I hire them today, mm -hmm. tell them to roll up their sleeves and get dirty, we can grow faster that's an easier path than just waiting until we get there 12 right. months out and now they've got another job and they're never going to join you. So it's yeah. really being clear, really being clear on the vision and the direction of the organization. So you can spot opportunities, I think as well. Okay. So you want to get work done in this shorter time horizon, any recommendations on how to, yeah. to do that in addition to, to what you've already explained? I remember this was this was probably back in our university days when we were both at Carleton University. And I remember hearing about Parkinson's law and yeah. Parkinson's law says that work expands to fill the space that we give it. Mm -hmm. So the more time that you give something, the longer it's going to take. And, um, well, you know, I've got kids. My kids are 21 and 19. And if I had told them when they were like 13 and 11, I need you to clean the house it'll only take you an hour. Oh, dad, no, it'll take three days. It'll take forever, all these things. But if I change that delegation, and instead of saying it will only take you an hour, if I said, hey, guys, I have friends showing up at the house in one hour. I need you to clean the house as best as possible and get it done in as fast as you can. Don't spend any more than 30 minutes. They'd be done in 25 or less because I've given them a smaller container to get it done in. Just like if I said to my assistant, hey, I'm meeting four CEOs for dinner. I, it's gonna be a working dinner. Can you organize dinner for us? 
she might set up the best restaurant in the city and get wine decanted and have some amazing T-bones all ready to go. And, you know, it'd be an unbelievable, fantastic meal that would cost me 500 bucks or more. Or if I delegated it properly, I could say it needs to be a working dinner at my home. Mm. We're just going to like Chipotle is fine. Like just like make it a hundred, a hundred bucks worth of some food coming in. And she'd probably bring in some good, healthy, organic food for a hundred bucks and Bob's your uncle. So the, the art of delegation is understanding what do you want to get back by when, what does good enough or finished to look like, and then how little time do you want someone to spend on it and how little money do you want them to spend on it? Otherwise, they're going to spend more time and they're going to spend more money. So it's, it's, it's controlling that Parkinson's law a little bit has worked really well for me. At College Pro Painters, we only had 17 weeks to build a $64 million company. So one week was 6% of our year, right? You take 17 weeks times 6% is 102%. We, we couldn't be up. Like if you were a week late, that was your profit margin gone. So we became very, very kind of maniacal around deliver what you promise and, and plant reverse engineering and getting shit done in the least amount of time as possible. Hmm. Yeah. Reverse engineering. So you're this integrator, you're creating this Clarity, organization clarity, you're creating this focus, you're creating this communication, this driving for results, and you're following through. And how how can leaders harmoniously integrate that team, you know, to help remove obstacles, barriers along the way? So what I do is I flip the org chart upside down. Okay. I have the CEO at the bottom supporting the VPs who are supporting the managers, who are supporting the employees, who are supporting the customers, almost like an inverted pyramid. And then everyone can see the vivid vision is where we're going. And we build the company inside the core purpose and the core values. Mm -hmm. So the way that we can get more done is to support our team, make sure they're clear on where they're going, remove their obstacles, use situational leadership, use coaching, use one-on-one -on -one coaching, delegate properly, cheer them on and get the hell out of their way to let them do their job, right? Mm -hmm. Find out that they're being bogged down with all the reply alls and CCs and meetings they don't need to be at. Right, mm -hmm. really helping people to get done what they need to get done, so that they're focusing on the critical few things versus the important many. The critical few—that's important. Delegating—that's mm -hmm. something I, I should learn more about, but I really need to learn more about. Um, so, uh, just to add on to that, um, we've got these leaders that are obviously collaborating, maybe perhaps different teams. Uh, you want consensus. You want those healthy debates within that one team that you're helping to manage. And you want them to be in alignment with those core values that you talk about, that vivid vision of the organization. Any recommendations on, on how to create that alignment of those core values? Yeah, and it's really interesting. So you talked about you want to get that, that debate. Jim Collins, um, or sorry, not Jim Collins, but uh, Pat Lencioni in The Five Dysfunctions of a Team talked about getting good, healthy conflict happening inside of a company and, and engaging in that good, healthy conflict. I agree a thousand percent. When Gino Rickman wrote Traction, he said that the entrepreneurial visionary's integrator, right? The second in command to the visionary has to be the tiebreaker in all decisions. I completely disagree. Okay. The best COO is not the tiebreaker. The best COO is the one that can get the managers or the leadership team to debate, to look mm -hmm. at strategy, to look at the numbers, to share opinions and ideas, and to get the good, healthy debate out there so they can argue it out and then they can come to a consensus. And when they walk out of the room, they're all in agreement. That's much better than saying, oh, three say this, three say that. Nope, it's my way or the highway. Mm. That doesn't scale very well. Mm. That works well when you're a 20-person company without a strong management team. 
But as soon as you're actually dealing with adults who are actually skilled, <clears throat> you need to build good, healthy debate and good, healthy consensus. So the way that you keep things aligned with core values is to con constantly reinforce the core values, right? Constantly thank people for living the core values. Constantly point out when people are demonstrating and living the core values, not just catching them doing something wrong, but constantly looking to be able to celebrate and praise when we're doing it right, because that builds their confidence. It builds the energy. Our, you know, the CEO's job is to be the chief energizing officer. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, true. It's all about energizing. Now, uh, in that healthy debate, sometimes you get this miscommunication. Sometimes you get this passive aggression. Mm -hmm. So how can leaders get team members to say what they mean to avoid that miscommunication, to avoid that passive aggression? Yeah, to say what they mean and mean what they say. It's <laughs> Some of it's with coaching, right? Some of it's you can bring in a consultant to work and help the team actually go through conflict, practicing it, trying it out. It's also building trust, right? If you have a good, strong foundation of trust, <clears throat> I think that's what Jim Collins in the five dysfunctions of a team talks about the absence of trust and, the, and then the artificial harmony. So you need to build trust with each other where I used to build what I called a no blame environment. Okay. That if something went wrong, it wasn't someone's fault. It was a missing system or a broken system that allowed something to go wrong. So we wanted people to say, hey, something went wrong. Great. Let's fix the system that allowed that to happen so that it doesn't happen again. I remember talking to a CEO recently, and he said, I told him about a customer that I'd heard of that had used his company, and they were really frustrated with the result. And the CEO said, I'll call them up. I will totally fix it. I got this handled. And I said, no, Dave, you're missing the point. I don't care about Bob being pissed off at you. I care about the other 5,000 clients that are going to have that same you know, result because you're not fixing the system. Don't worry about smoothing it out with Bob. He'll survive. Fix the underlying system so that it doesn't happen with the other 5,000 people multiplied right. by year after year, right? Okay. So when you create when you create that kind of no-blame environment, people are okay with, with things going wrong because they know they're not getting judged. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you've, you've created the COO Alliance, and I was going to ask you about growing leaders' skills, growing their confidence, growing their confidence. Obviously, this is one avenue to do so. Can you tell us a bit about COO Alliance and what it does? Yeah, so I was a member of the Entrepreneurs Organization for years. I used to attend the Genius Network and Strategic Coach, and I've gone to a number of entrepreneurial mastermind groups like Baby Bathwater and War Room, and you know, but they were always the event for the CEO. And then there's there's groups and mastermind communities for project managers, for IT professionals, for engineers and lawyers. There was nowhere for the second in command. So the, the COOs tended to go to like project management sessions or sales seminars or CEO work groups, but there was nowhere for them to mastermind with each other about being the yin and yang to the CEO, right? How do we be the match to that COO? And so I just created the community for them. And, and it's incredible to watch them sharing ideas with each other and resources with each other to help themselves grow and to grow their companies. And without having the entrepreneur there stirring things up because the entrepreneurs never shut up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you have a good leader. You mentioned it could be an execution expert, could be that people expert. You've talked about the chief execution um, uh, officer. Uh, how can a leader find that greatest point of leverage to have people execute with consistency? 
Well, I guess one way is to really actually make sure that we have the systems in place and to try to move as much as we can away from people and into optimization and automation of processes and systems. That's one, you know, that I've seen so many um, situations like this in the last year or so where people are saying, oh, I need to hire more people. I need to delegate this to people. I need to get some people offshore. I'm like, wait, first, do we even need to do it? Hmm. Like, can we just stop forever? Or secondly, can it be optimized? before we delegate it or before we offshore it or before, or can we automate that system or process so that it can happen because of the machines instead of needing to have more people working on it. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways to get consistency is to have, you know, the automation of those results is just, you get that predictability. The second way is to make sure that you have skills training. So if people are doing it is to make sure that you not only train people, but that you, you certify them in their skills, right? So they actually have the base level of skills to be able to do something. And then third is to make sure that you have proper playbooks or systems in place so that people can follow that right playbook, right? If it's a person following a system and you dumb down that system. So I used to call it Bob proofing. We had a, a franchisee named Bob who was, was in Buffalo um, and he Bob was our first franchisee. So for me, I'm like this, whatever we're teaching, Bob has to be able to put in place in Buffalo in February, like in the worst winter market ever, like in a, in a blue collar town with a franchisee that we didn't really even train because we didn't know what we were doing when we had won. The system has to work for him, mm-hmm. right? The, and if it can work for him, it can work for all 330 franchisees. Okay. Uh, in the book, you uh, use this beautiful quote. I really like it. You say, as a leader, it's all about getting things done rather than making them perfect. Yeah. So uh, when, when, we, when we look at that, when, we, when you think about that quote, how can a team hold its members accountable to get things done? So I've heard, a, I, we've heard the saying recently of the minimum viable product, okay. you know, MVP. And I think it's more minimum viable everything. Mm-hmm. Like get it done and get it out the door. So, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll give a funny example of this, but I've got my degree from Carleton University where you and I both went to school, but do you know what my grades are like? (laughs) They're horrible. My grades were horrible. I got like C minus, B plus, C minus, withdrawn, D plus, D minus. No one's ever asked me for my grades. They just asked me, did I graduate? So I got done and I got it out the door. I also learned again back at College Pro Painters that there was a certain level of perfection that you could have with a house painting job, Mm. but most people didn't want to pay you to sand feather sand, every single edge of scratch, like, especially not on the third story soffits. So, but some people do. So it's how perfect do you want it to be? And how much are you willing to pay for that? Perfect. What we often have to do, especially when we have really smart people is let them know, I need you to write this memo or I need you to work on this project. And if I'm paying you, you know, $80 an hour, which is $160,000 a year, I don't want you to spend two hours on something because then I'm paying you $160 an hour for something that I'm only willing to spend five bucks for. Yeah. Right. So there's, there's a level of perfection. And then we have to decide how much time and money is that perfect going to cost us. Mm. And then what do we really need to do in terms of gross margin or revenue just to pay for that? It gets to be a little insane. Yeah, that's no, true. So we have any project managers out there want to become CEOs, any piece of advice for them? Yeah, it would be to really focus and work on the um, 
to really focus and work on the actual leadership skills of leading people, of, of the situational leadership skills, the coaching leadership skills, um, you know, anything around handling conflict, around delegation, around running one-on-one -on -one coaching meetings, anything around developing people. Because if you can work on those skills, the soft skills of leadership, and you can layer them on top of your project management skills, the ability to get stuff done, that's a huge winning combination. How can we get in touch with this book? How can we purchase it? Well, all of my books are available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. And um, if, if people do want to grow their skills as well, take a look at my Invest in Your Leaders course. It's called investinyourleaders.com. And it has the 12 core leadership skills that will really help everyone scale in their career. And I was going to ask you about that too. Uh, where can we register for that course? Yeah, it's just investinyourleaders.com. That's it? Okay, got yeah. it. Perfect. All right, don't forget that. How can anyone get in touch with you if they want to? You're on LinkedIn. Anywhere yeah, else? LinkedIn, um, Facebook, Instagram, they'll find me out there. And then also check out the Second in Command podcast as well, because I share, I've had about 260 Second in Commands of really great brands, and you'll get a really good glimpse of that operational perspective as well. Splendid. Second in Command podcast. All right. I want to thank you very much, Cameron Harold, for coming on the show. And uh, it's obviously a pleasure. I've read two books of yours. I've read this one and I've read Meeting Suck. I have yet to read Double Double, but uh, I'm obviously going to buy three more uh, when I finish the, the last book. So thanks, awesome. thanks. Thanks once again for coming on the show. Thanks, Marcus. Appreciate you having me. All right. Thank you. And now a word from our sponsors. The Lewis Institute provides an enterprise project management program that does more than just train PMs. It helps support them from the CEO level on down. These courses help certify project leaders and prepare them to pass the PMP exam.